Good morning, everybody. It's wonderful to be with you today again. And today uh, is Advent 1, the beginning of the church year. And on Advent 1, we think about Christ's second coming and uh, the end times. And our scripture for today, it comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, verses 36 through 44. Hear now God's living word. But about that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away, so too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together. One will be taken and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Let us pray together. Loving and gracious God, bless the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts, that all would be pleasing in your presence, O God. You who are our rock, you who save us. Amen. I wonder when you've had a moment in your life when it was important for you to prepare for a big upcoming life event. Maybe it was an exam at school. Maybe it was a job promotion and the first day entering into that new job. Perhaps the birth of a new child or retirement and getting all your finances in order. Well, it's not just only humans who prepare for big things in life. Animals also we can launch the slide. There we go. Animals also prepare for changes in the seasons, right? So here we have a squirrel. And where did he get that shopping cart, I wonder? But strangely enough, right, it's amazing that animals, they know to migrate south. They know to get food when the weather is warm and prepare for the winter. What if the squirrel didn't do that? It would die, right? Preparations are important for our survival and to make sure that everything is ready for those big upcoming events. But sometimes in life, we can't always foresee those big upcoming events. I saw that in a particular way while I served as a hospital chaplain for about a year and a half prior to coming to this church. And there I would see people from all different uh, backgrounds and lifestyles. Many persons, when they come to the hospital, it's unexpected. Uh, uh, someone's health has just shifted and they and the whole family are there. And something I noticed as I worked with several hundred families uh, was that whether a person had faith made a huge difference in how they navigated that serious medical event. Whether they lived or died, that their faith could be that real resource for them. And persons who didn't who had ignored their faith, but then tried at the hospital to find faith, it, it couldn't be the same resource for them, like the person who had been investing in their faith for years beforehand. And this taught me something 
very important, that eventually led me to become a pastor in a parish like this and not remain a chaplain, that the church is this vital resource, this gift that God gives to all of us through which the Holy Spirit can move to prepare us in our faith before we hit those challenges or tragedies in life so that our faith is a real resource we can lean on through the ups and downs of life. So friends, my question to you today is this. What is your faith? Is it that kind of resource you can lean on? If it's not, what's stopping you from allowing your faith to be a more central part of your life? In our passage today, Jesus uh, is... Let me back up, excuse me. So here in Advent 1... Uh, at, it can seem rather odd that we're talking about the end times and Jesus' second coming on the first Sunday of Advent. In the last 50 years in particular, Advent has been turned into an exclusive focus on the Nativity and Christmas Day and Jesus' birth and all the joy that accompanies that. But if we only focus on that, we miss, I think, to be the central theme of Advent, which is the second coming really looking at the overall end purpose of Jesus' life. Where is all of this going? Back in the medieval times when Advent began to be practiced in earnest, its primary focus was on the second coming of Jesus, which culminated with the birth of Jesus on Christmas Day. But we can't miss that second coming. So when we think about the beginning of Christ's life, we also need to be thinking about the end of it. And that's the purpose of this Sunday. Jesus came to save the world, to give us the gift of eternal life, to redeem our broken reality. And if we don't talk about his second coming and the end of the world today, then it makes it hard to appreciate the full richness of the birth of Christ and why Christ came into our broken reality and how he changed our world forever. Now with that in mind, we can go to the scripture. So in our passage today, Jesus is making an oath with those who are listening to his words here, his followers. Oaths were important in the ancient Mediterranean world. And often an oath, as the social science commentary explains, an oath was made by saying, if this thing happened before, then this thing will come to pass. So later today is football, right? So just as there are three quarters in a football game, so will there be a fourth, right? If there's not, there's going to be a lot of angry fans this afternoon who want to see the end of their game. So Jesus is saying, just as Noah and the ark happened and God swept away the world but saved Noah and his family to continue the human race, so too will my second coming occur. Just as that happened, this will happen. And then we come to a very interesting part of this passage, perhaps the most interesting, I think, of the whole one. Not even Jesus knows when that time will be, when his second coming will occur. Not even Jesus. Who's the only one who knows? The Father. That's the only one. And there's a real comforting word that Mark Yours from Feasting on the Word commentary lifts up from this passage. That even Jesus had his questions, had his doubts, had things he didn't know. And sometimes when we think about our faith and we step back and say, you know, what is my faith? Uh, how much of a resource is it in my life? We can then feel like, well, if I have any doubts, then, then my faith is just, you know, in a terrible place. But friends, it's okay to have questions. It's okay to have doubts. Even our Lord and Savior had questions. 
We need to embrace those and acknowledge them and not beat ourselves up for having them. And then we move to another interesting part of the passage, this imagery of uh, Jesus saying that one person is going, two people will be in the field, one will be taken up, another will be left behind, two women grinding meal together, one taken, one left behind. And I think we can get caught up too much in the imagery of this passage and, and miss some of the central meaning of it. Remember that Jesus uses hyperbole a lot in his passages, and I don't think that Jesus' intent is to describe exactly what the end times will look like to us in this passage. Now, passages like this lead people to say, well, to d describe the rapture, that one, some will go up and fly up to heaven, others will be left behind. We've seen that in the Left Behind famous book series. Um, John Wesley believed that there was no rapture, that the world would just end. He called it amillennialism, and that uh, just Christ would come back, everyone would see it, world over, and then new creation begins, anew. Regardless, the, in, the focus of this passage is not on what the end times exactly look like. And really, none of us exactly know. Only the Father knows when it's going to happen and what it's eventually going to be. The important thing is to stress that it will happen. Uh, there are, especially as we move to the very liberal end of Christianity, people who say that this is all just a big metaphor. I would stress this is a real event that Christ is stressing will come to pass one day. The main focus of this passage, though, is being ready watching for Christ, really having your heart in order for whether Christ's second coming occurs tomorrow, in five hours, or in 2,000 years, that you are ready for that to come to pass, but also that you're ready for other major life events which may occur. When we think more about this image of the people working in the field or the women grinding meal, these were very common mundane tasks in the ancient Mediterranean world. And as Mark Yours explains, uh, a special, I think, uh, message for us can be that in our mundane tasks of life, we also need to be watching for Christ. It can be easy in the mundaneness of life to forget our faith, to let it slide to the periphery, and all of a sudden we haven't been in church in five years and we haven't said a prayer even longer. But this passage stresses to us that even as we go through the toils of everyday life, we are still to be watching for Christ looking for the incarnate Christ around us and waiting for his second coming, keeping the faith, still finding ways to connect with our Lord and Savior. Something that I think marks us growing in our faith is our ability to, to see the incarnate Christ all around us, especially in the mundaneness of life. And friends, I want to share with you a time when I saw the incarnate Christ recently in our congregation. Every year we pack about 120 Thanksgiving baskets. We did this last Sunday afternoon and Monday morning, and we distribute them to families in need. They're not really baskets, it's three boxes of food. It's about a week's worth of groceries for those who aren't familiar with this, uh, each costing about $100. And they go out to families in need all over the Rockford area. And every single year, and this year was no different, I was so moved with just passion to see how the people of Christ UMC were coming together to be the hands and feet of Christ to make these baskets happen and send out to people who need them. Pastor Jane and I had the privilege of delivering a couple of those baskets to people in need and seeing how much of a difference it made in their lives. But friends, I mean, even in terms of the finances, we've raised over $10,000 for those baskets, our goal. And that came in very quickly. So not only did people step up to volunteer, but also gave generously. 
And I just, that's the incarnate Christ in our midst. That's the kingdom of God at work. People just filled with Christ's love and compassion, putting others first. And friends, that, that, that encourages me, and I hopefully you as well, to see how the Holy Spirit is alive and well in this congregation. But that's looking for the incarnate Christ in the big and small things of life. And then we move to this very odd uh, parable of Jesus being the thief who breaks into the strong man's house. You know, I think, again, that Jesus is using hyperbole to get his audience's attention. I don't exactly know what to do with that passage, as well as a couple of commentators I read struggle with it. But Jesus is meant to be seen as the thief in that story who breaks into the house. Maybe that's to stress that we can take too much confidence in the physical things of this world, uh, but Jesus can come at an unexpected hour. I'm not exactly sure, but I think the emphasis is that we must prepare, that we must be watching for Christ and preparing our hearts for him at the same time. Friends, I want to share with you a story. Uh, It's of a man named Mr. Tom Schlegel, and he was my physical education teacher back at Nequa Valley High School when I was uh, in high school. And uh, he was just a man who was so physically active. He would uh, participate in marathons, be in triathlons. He ate very healthily, always weightlifting. Um, he was also a part of my church at Grace United Methodist in Naperville. And we had seen each other around the church, but it wasn't until I was assigned to his PE class that I got to know him better, and we started making connections, and a, a friendship began to form despite our age. We both of us knew Arthur Landweir, the late uh, senior pastor of Grace UMC Naperville, and as his health was declining at the time, Mr. Schlegel and I often spoke about it and our our mutual concern for Arthur. Well, then one day, uh, a very unexpected event hit Mr. Schlegel. He was diagnosed at the age of 44 with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, Uh, and uh, he had a family, a wife, and a son and a daughter, and this was a, a real blow. Uh, as I think all of us can imagine on many different levels. He immediately had to stop working. Uh, His energy from the chemotherapy treatments, which were very aggressive and painful, um, really made it impossible for him to do much of anything. But then there was kind of a break in the storm, and his health began to rejuvenate. He invited my mom and I over to his home because of our relationship in church together, just to come see him. And he shared with me a lot of reflections of how his faith had grown and changed in the course of his struggle with cancer. He explained that prior to his diagnosis, uh, he was active in our church. Uh, He went to worship. He taught Sunday school occasionally. He visited the sick when he could. Uh, He was part of the men's group. But he felt like his faith was more out of obligation. Uh, Certainly, there was something there that led him there, but his faith really wasn't in his heart, as he shared with me. And that while he would never wish cancer on his worst enemy, and he, would, and he wishes it had never been a part of his life, he explained how God had redeemed that awful situation to use it to help him focus on his relationship with Christ in a new way. He explained that he began to feel in his heart a new passion for his faith. His cancer had made him open the Bible much more and pray a lot more, talk to the pastors about questions of faith that he had. And he started to take his faith much, much more seriously. And a lesson I took away from that is, where is my faith when I was a high schooler and still very early in my faith walk? And it's a question, though, that I ask myself today again as I think back on his story. Maybe one that may apply to many of you here today. 
Where is our relationship with Christ today? Are there changes that we need to make to bring our faith more into our heart, to discover that passion? I also want to stress that Mr. Slagle didn't do this by his own merit. As he stressed to me, God did it in him, a new thing. Faith is a gift. I don't want anyone to walk away from here today and say, okay, I need to go out myself, me, and make all these changes. Friends, none of us are alone in this walk of faith. Faith is given to us, not earned. What we need to do as people of free will is open our hearts and put ourselves in situations to receive God's grace, like being here in worship, like serving at Thanksgiving baskets, like receiving communion, attending classes, things like this, opening your Bible. Put yourself in situations for the Holy Spirit to meet you, to enter your heart and do a new work. And that's really what happened to Mr. Schlegel. The Holy Spirit entered his life powerfully because he opened his heart and changed him forever. Eventually, he did pass away in October of 2006, and it was a big blow to our church, to the school, to his family. His uh, now wife, uh, his widowed wife and son and daughter, they now live in Colorado, and they have a stable life from what I've heard and read. Um, but it was certainly a tough chapter for him after he passed away. But he's a man who... I uh, really will always be close and dear to my heart, someone I will never forget, and so glad I could share his testimony with all of you today. Friends, in this season of Advent, as we await the coming again in the liturgical church year of the Christ child, the most precious of all gifts, may we open our hearts to receive the gift of faith anew. May we both watch and prepare ourselves for the second coming of Christ May we look for the incarnate Christ all around us, and when we see it, be more inspired to devote ourselves to our faith and to serving others first in our lives as an outflow of our Christian love for one another. Friends, I pray that Christ may be born anew in your hearts this day, and that you may simply allow the grace of Christ to change you and prepare you and strengthen you for what is to come next in life that your faith may be a real resource you can cling to through the ups and downs of life. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.